Welcome to Kabat of Canuck, Episode 7. With me I have, I'm honored to have uh, Jacques Van Eck. Am I pronouncing that right, Jacques? Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Jacques is a former member of the South African Police Services Tactical Response Team, uh, as well as he was serving as a tactical trainer in that capacity and in tactical response team development. He's also a French Police Qualified Crowd, Ma crowd Management Instructor and a civilian and law enforcement defensive tactics trainer, use of force trainer, firearms instructor, and Jacques is also a qualified Krav Maga instructor with Krav Maga Global. Uh, I'll, let, uh, I'll let Jacques kind of unfold that a little bit and to get into some of his experience. And I'm really excited to talk to you, Jacques, because, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, but one, because you come from South Africa, one that's my favorite, favorite accent to hear, so this conversation will be a true pleasure for me. <laughs> um, also, when I when I think of I, I'm uh, I was just curious and I was checking out what the, the Global Peace Index said about uh, you know South Africa in terms of its level of violence and peacefulness, and I, I think of South Africa as one of those ones that is uh, has a high level of violence. And on the Global Peace Index, uh, which takes 172 countries that it rates, uh, South Africa was 127th on the list. Uh, relative to now Canada, uh, where we are, is sixth. <laughs> So I'd imagine policing and law enforcement and just general personal security and safety in one environment is radically different from the other, and I would just, I'm really excited to get kind of that, that perspective uh, from you. So thanks for, thanks for coming on. It's an honor to have you on as a guest. Thank you so much uh, for allowing me to be on your, your pod. Yeah, so South Africa is, South Africa is a very special place. Um, I think because it's so diverse, there's so many different people from different backgrounds. Uh, I think it makes it one of one of the very cool countries, if I can put it like that. Arriving in Canada with relatively uh, how do I put it? Looking at the differences, mm -hmm. first of all, you guys have got no fences around your houses. Right. No burglar proofing. Uh, there's no armed security driving past. It's just peaceful. Yeah, I, I, I think in South Africa we're very desensitized according to what's happening in our country. Um, which is good and bad basically. Because you get a lot of guys that still stay in their little bubble and most of the guys are not in their bubble, which means they take precaution. Um, I can list probably, if I take 10 of the people that I know in South Africa, 8 of those people have got electric fencing, they've got camera systems up in their houses, they've got panic buttons, they can actually activate, deactivate their alarms while they are on the road away, they can see what's happening in the houses when they're not there. So, yeah, it's, it's quite different. The, uh, I guess uh, there's a lot, more, a lot more concentric layers of security around whatever your, your, your family, probably first and foremost, and then whatever assets you may have, versus over, you know, over here, it's, it's a lot more lax, as you're saying. I was talking with my friend from Portugal over the phone, uh, earlier this week actually and he was saying in the area he's in crime is so low I think Portugal is rated like number two on on the list um, yeah. second safest or whatnot and he says people just essentially never, never leave their uh, 
houses or cars locked or anything like that and nobody ever goes near it and I, I experienced that in Ireland as well it's so weird for me to think that people have that way of life but South Africa is not that place <laughs> definitely not there's definitely not no. Did, uh, still it's relatively safe I mean if you if you're aware and you know what you're doing yeah. I think it's like any country as long as you know where you can go and what time you can go at uh, you'll be relatively okay, you know. Did you uh, did you grow up there? Yeah, actually, I was born in Johannesburg, okay. which is now called Kharjeng. <laughs> um, and then I moved down to Port Elizabeth, uh, which is a coastal town. Mm -hmm. uh, probably when I was 16, finished my schooling there, and then after that, right off to school, I joined the South African Police Force. Now, uh... I was looking at, uh, I went and uh, checked out your LinkedIn. Let's see if I could just jump over there on my phone now. Okay. Uh, I was just uh, taking a look at all your qualifications here, and uh, pretty impressive. And I'd just like to touch on some of them, maybe, and get on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, I, what I see in here, what jumped out at me, actually, outside of all the tactical training and, and train the trainer courses, and you've obviously done a lot of training and you have a lot of experience, uh, I was interested in seeing the domestic violence and suicide prevention ones and, uh, that you did during your time with the South African Police Force. How, how often did you deal with that? Like, we think of like gang violence and stuff, but how often were you dealing with uh, violence in people's homes and whatnot? Yeah, so, so the South African Police Force is very, very, very involved when it comes to domestic violence. Okay. Because the domestic violence sector in South Africa is currently probably one of the most volatile ones we have. So they, they, they basically implemented a program for all policemen to go on, uh, which is how to prevent domestic violence, tactical procedures to do with domestic violence, uh, also the court proceedings and how to deal with uh, vulnerable people, whether it's kids, women, men, uh, who are affected by this um, violence. Yeah. Because um, when we looked at the amount of police that were being attacked and injuries occurred on the policemen themselves, it was actually from domestic violence, uh, them going to domestic violence um, complaint. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, let me put it to you like this. When I was still working... Um, what we call a big cop. Um, I was probably attending on the shift, 12 hour shift, uh, just over the top of my head, probably like 15. Jesus. And that was just me. That's you, and that's basically more than one every hour in a shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you would sometimes be at a domestic violence and then right next door there's another one that breaks out. Now, uh, to put a, kind of another layer on this, what, um, like in Canada we have uh, pretty stringent laws as to what you can carry on your person for, for any purpose uh, in terms of self-defense. You really aren't allowed to carry anything because then intent-wise it becomes a weapon. So, um, you would kind of rely on weapons of opportunity, like if I'm carrying a, a coffee mug or if I'm carrying a pen, or like I have an alternate purpose for that, or if I, it's a tool with a purpose yeah. other than self-protection. But what's 
what's the legalities? Not to say people don't carry annuals, but what's the legalities of that in South Africa? So, South Africa is at this stage of the of what's happening before all this chaos happened with the coronavirus. Um, the South African police actually tried to change some of the laws, uh, which I don't think they were able to. Um, but basically, we have what's called the Section 13 Self Defense Protection Act. Okay. Meaning that I can uh, carry a, a pistol mm -hmm. for self defense purposes. And it can either be a pistol, which is not uh, fully automatic. Okay. Or a shotgun. Right. Which is also not fully automatic. Right. Um, and then obviously all the other laws. But, I mean, I carry the knife every single day. I carry pepper spray. I had my pistol with me. Um, I mean, I had... So, according to the Self-Defense Act, I'm not allowed to have more than 200 rounds. Right. So, I had on me personally probably about 45 rounds. Right. So, yeah, pretty much you could carry anything that you basically wanted, as long as it was in the, you know, I can't carry machete for self-defense purposes. So, that's your, that's your everyday world, and... At yeah. some point, at some point, uh, you you uh, made the move from there to Canada. Uh, yes. Any any was there any stops in between, or did you come right straight over? No. Uh, yeah. So basically, what happened is um, I started my own company in South Africa. Uh, my wife was also freelancing, so it freed me up a lot. So while we were waiting for the process of Canada um, looking at our documentation, um, my wife and I decided to go visit her family because her mom and dad stay in Malaysia. Okay. So we went to Malaysia for a month with my brother-in-law and, um, and, and his girlfriend. And then when we came back, we had, I think it was three weeks, and we had to be in the country. Yeah. Wow. Oh. <laughs> sure. So and, everything happened very quickly. And here you are. <laughs> yes. You um, you, you talk about that uh, that uh, company that you opened and uh, where you've done that's mostly like firearms and tactical instruction, uh, first aid and basic firefighting instruction, um, close protection as well, instruction for hostile environments, crowd management, yeah. things like this. And also, I noticed here what I'd really like to see was. Uh, you specify on your LinkedIn they're certified civilian and kids self-defense instructor. Um, you know, that's a whole other layer in context, right? So I really, really, yeah. really appreciate that. So um, so that's, that's basically what you're doing over there and what you've brought over with you to Canada plus your, uh, you know, plus your huge history of uh, law enforcement experience over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I must say I was, I, was, I was one of the very fortunate guys in the police in South Africa. Because I got to experience a lot of different aspects to them and units. Uh, so I went from being a normal uh, station police officer, con attending to complaints, to working undercover, uh, doing drug, drug buys, 
fasting syndicates and those type of things. So I was very fortunate there. And then I was also head of crime prevention, uh, which is basically a unit within the station sector that just deals with violent crimes okay. and execution of violent um, warrants of arrest. Um, and then from there it was uh, uh, one of those special units and then it was training from there. Yeah, I, I just loved it. Excellent. Uh, what, uh, you, so you're a defensive tactics instructor, but what I really like uh, about what you're saying is you, you come kind of with a, an experience steeped in the reality of, of violence and you said, like you said, so many domestic scenarios you walk into on a daily, you know, more than one every hour. That's a lot of, like, that's your brain cataloging a lot of incidents, a lot of scenarios, a lot of attacks. And, um, you know, that must, uh, that must, without any doubt, flavor kind of how, how you teach and what you present. Can you talk a little bit about how the, what, what effect that has? Yeah, so basically, so... So basically what I do is um, when, I, when I start training with a group or with an individual, um, I like to test what they know, first of all, and then what they, what they can do, and then how they deal with different situations that I throw at them. And then what I do is I don't change anything, I just adapt. So I give him more hard to adapt to a certain situation, whether it's uh, starting from very violent, de-escalating it, or trying trying to stop the whole escalation of the actual criminal, basically, yeah. Um, so, being exposed to so much violence uh, has definitely I must say, given me a, a larger perspective of what people are actually capable of. Yeah. Not just the criminal himself, but also the person actually trying to defend themselves and their family. They're a lot more capable than they think they are. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Now, uh, I think one thing that can, I could probably appreciate and I can imagine coming from a South African environment, uh, and maybe, and I'm, maybe not maybe, I, I think almost for, for sure you see some of this over here, is that over there, you have kind of that mindset of, you know, kind of armed being a mindset, always kind of looking out, you even talk about the, you know, 80% of the people that, you know, having, you know, the, the electric fences and cameras and, and, and heavily, heavily protected around them versus over here where there's no fences, there's no, you know, you know, there's basically a, you know, kind of a shitty deadbolt on the front door that could be picked in two seconds, and there's no other home security a lot of times. You know, um, yeah. that I, I, I think that's a good advantage that you, can, that you bring with you and that you can, uh, you can impart into the people that train with you is, is that is kind of just taking that attitude, that general attitude, which affects everything else. That's kind of the, that's the I think that's like the ignition switch on, on self-protection, right, that mindset. Hey, absolutely, yeah. So what I try and teach the people is controlled aggression. Mm -hmm. Controlled aggression for me is probably one of the most important factors uh, of dealing with violence. Obviously, my my top 
number one rule is always try and avoid it. Mm -hmm. uh, situational awareness. Uh, but definitely controlled aggression because if you're too aggressive, you lose focus, you don't know what's happening, you're just trying to be like a wild animal and just like bite, scratch, do whatever. But if you have controlled aggression, you actually see what's going on in front of you and you can adapt to that situation in front of you. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I like to, to uh, train people in that moment to kind of stay focused on a task. You know, it's like when uh, I'm we're having a, a baby coming up soon and uh, we're looking at doing a home birth and, you know, I was in oh, wow. a, I was in a talk with uh, first aid, my first aid instructor within the last couple of weeks and he said that uh, a lot of times they'll tell the husband to go boil some water, right? All that chaos, why do they want him to boil water? <laughs> it's just, to, just to get him to do something and just to, and just to give him a focus, right? Admit, you know, yeah, yeah. So, something for him to put all his attention on and when it comes to self-defense, uh, when it comes to the point where you have to use force, I like to teach people just kind of staying focused on that task of picking that target and hitting it with whatever is available and then picking the appropriate tool to do so. And uh, I just yeah. try to kind of keep them fo just one track mind on that, you know, because that's what's I think going to help them get active sooner in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. I agree more, yeah. So you're in Nova Scotia now. Yes. Which is... Uh, I've never actually been. My father was born there in Peggy's Cove. I really want to visit it. I hear it's beautiful. But uh, what's what's life for you like now as you've, as you've made the move? How how long ago again did you make that move? Well, we landed on the 26th of Jan. Okay, so very recent. Very, very recent. Um, yeah, so we, we've actually basically been in Nova Scotia or in the... Uh, basically for one month okay uh, we, yeah. yeah so you, you you uproot you come to a country across the ocean you land ready to set up uh, you know a business and make a go of it and all of a sudden coronavirus out of nowhere yes yeah it is um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> ah, well that's a that's certainly a challenge to overcome no doubt <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, the other thing that I've, that I've also been faced with uh, before the coronavirus setting is obviously just trying to understand how the laws work. Yeah. Because understanding how laws work in a new country is very important. Yeah. Especially if you're trying to start up your own business. Um, so I've been, like, people have been telling me one thing, and then I've somebody else tells me something else, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then the other guy says, no, 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 don't listen to those two guys, uh, this is what's happening, and then I bump into other guys that just say, just don't do it, because <laughs> there's already too many of us, and then I'm like, okay, so what do I actually do now? <laughs> ah, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been very challenging very interesting yeah well I you know yeah the yeah sure the tactical training and stuff there's some good ones out there but uh, you know you're also one of those right and you bring a unique perspective and experience with you and uh, I've been fortunate in the last 
uh, I don't know, in the last two, three years of uh, just getting connected to some really solid guys in Canada. And, and uh, there's a really good network of people with some really good information to share. And uh, so I, I don't think the answer is don't, don't do it because there's too many of us, <laughs> right? Uh, I think, you know, the lessons from experience and, and uh, the lessons from your experience you can bring are invaluable. So, you know, obviously, obviously yeah. do it. But it's, it's just a challenge, obviously, to make a go uh, income-wise right now when nobody is going out. <laughs> yeah, especially, yeah, especially right now, it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Um, because before these things happened, I, I, I started the process of obviously falling in line with uh, Canadian law, with firearm licensing and, and doing my PAL and RPAL, and then also undergoing um, a CPR and first aid instructor's course. Right, okay. Um, here in Canada. So everything is booked, but now everything's cancelled. Right. Just, and you have to, now it's just wait and see. No, I just have to wait and see when everything will get started again. So, yeah, so it is very challenging. Have you... Uh, as, we, as we say in South Africa, uh, good times. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, yeah. yeah. Well, hard times make hard men and all the rest of it, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, so you... Um, how did uh, at what point did you get into uh, into into Krav Maga? Was that during your law enforcement career? Before, or after? Yeah. So in two thousand and eight, um, when we started with our uh, French cooperation training, is what we call it. So our country went into a, a agreement with the French government uh, for training and resources and sharing and and also we we were starting to prepare for the 2010 world cup the soccer soccer world cup okay um, so the french police it was the crf and the gendarme they came over to south africa and they um i think we were 250 police officers all instructors that, that uh, underwent the training to become instructors uh, French card management instructors. Okay. It was, I must say, the, the most challenging month of my life. Um, and during that time, we got introduced to Krav. Okay. Um, so they call it personal intervention, which is their use of force, the wrestling techniques, and self-defense training. Personal intervention. Personal intervention, yeah. So one of the instructors, uh, he was actually a European kickboxing champion and also a Krav instructor. Okay. So he's, they started introducing us uh, during the training period with Krav. And then I think there was like seven of us that used to work together. We went to this guy after hours and he started training us. Uh, with Crump. And then once everything was done, uh, I joined the ITMS, uh, which was back then when AL, AL was still there. Okay. Uh, and basically from there I went over to KMG once 
pale and then left and they started their thing. Um, and that was it. Yeah, so 2008, I started with Crump. Amazing. And I, I saw on your LinkedIn it said the director. Is that director of the company or is that director of a region? So I was, I was director of South Africa okay. for Cromagal Global. Uh, so I was in charge of running the countries, basically, uh, and running crows and getting your instructors going, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my first, uh, I went to my first Krav Maga training in Philadelphia, and uh, it was from a group that was out of Los Angeles uh, at Krav Maga Worldwide. And... Uh, Anyways, I just what I remember it was good times. It was like a seven day seven day boot camp and uh, just some really hard training that left you kind of broken but happy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, when I, my last time I went to Israel now to go do my grading uh, on our last, let's say the day before our last day, uh, we get we get told that our grading is going to be seven and a half hours. Okay. And we're like, what? Seven and a half hours. How? Are you are you going to give us like lunch breaks or <laughs> you know, breaks in between? And they say no, seven and a half hours. That's uh, down to a science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can just, I can, I can still remember it. I can still remember that that uh, that thought process in my head. So we started at like nine o'clock. In the, in, the, in the morning and then when we got to like three I think it was three o'clock I was looking at this and I was thinking to myself why am I doing this? <laughs> am I crazy? but absolutely it, it, it leaves you broken but when you finish it, it, it feels like you've achieved so much yeah yeah absolutely and it's good uh that was so long ago and uh, you know and uh like there's still like good good uh, communication kept in touch with the people that you train with like it's a bond that's forged you know with the people Absolutely. you train with yeah yeah amazing so what uh, outside of kind of that that kind of infrastructure for your business you're trying to get built as you, as you land here and things have gone haywire but uh, yeah. what, what kind of things have been going on behind the scenes, uh, you know, locally? Well, I've been trying to make a couple of connections. Um, uh, I remember when I contacted you the first time, you put me in charge, uh, or you put me in connection with uh, one or two guys. The one guy was from Unique Skills. Yes, that's right, yeah. Uh, Pat. Pat Major. We, yeah, we met. Oh, very good. Oh, awesome. Absolute brilliant guy. Um, so we've been chatting, we've been uh, went to one of his training sessions, uh, been keeping in touch and so on. Um, so otherwise I've been trying to see if I can get any connections in the police facade mm -hmm. uh, to see if they would be keen to do some training or, you know, if they... What, list, what what laws I have to abide to to be able to do training for them or with mm -hmm. them or et cetera, et cetera. 
So I'm still busy with that part. Um, if I may make a suggestion, um, on we could ch check him out website-wise or Instagram or whatever the case is. But there's the Canadian Tactical Officers Association, and uh, you know, there's a network that that goes out to uh, various uh, officers or tactical officers or tactical trainers. So it might be a good network to plug into now that you've that, that you're here in Canada. Okay, I think I've, I think I'm actually connected to them on LinkedIn. Oh, perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, must, must actually look, yeah. Yeah, because so many people have told me so many different things and, I, and I'm just like, I actually don't know which way to go now. Actually, yeah. Yeah. But there's there's definitely, uh, it's, a, it's a smaller community than down in the States, uh, but it's uh, it's still... Uh, it's still a need, <laughs> right? There's, there's still a lot of need for training, so you know there's still a lot of need there for for trainers. Yeah, no, it's so. Yeah, so I'll definitely try and make some um, connections down this side uh, with some of the police guys, mm -hmm. and then see if we can go from there. There was actually a guy that contacted me from uh, one of the colleges. Um, and I think as soon as all this has lifted, um, we might meet up and discuss um, some training. Oh, excellent. Uh, new, yeah, because I used to be uh, big on course development back in South Africa. Okay. So I developed a lot of new courses. Uh, so he's very interested in some of the training that we did. So... Yeah, hopefully we can put something together. Now, the just backtracking a little bit, um, going back to South Africa for a moment. Yeah. What's the what's do you know what the population or population density is or is relative to? Well, just maybe not relative to anything. Just what's the population density like over there? Uh, yes, I'm trying to think. I think it is seventy seventy odd million. 80 million Oh, wow, okay. People. Just in South Africa, yeah. Just a few. <laughs> yeah, it's just a drop. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, is the nature of violence a lot more kind of close quarter? Like, what is it, what's kind of the predominant, predominant uh, statistics, I guess? What's the most likely or most common forms of, a, of, of physical violence over there? Multiple attackers. Yeah. Yeah, home invasions. Uh, firearms, knives, fungus, and all of that, not one-on-one, -on -one, but multiple attackers. Multiple so and anything, attackers. Yeah, so anything from 4 to 12. Jesus. Yeah. 4 to 12 armed attackers. Yeah. And most of it, you're saying, is like home invasions, robberies, things like this. Home invasions, home robberies. Yeah. Do you have a number offhand uh, in, the, in, the, in, I guess, an average of uh, people that comply and still get injured, like still get chopped or still get shot or whatever, versus those who just give up what they're, and then people leave them alone? How often does how complying actually work? Well, I don't have, I don't have the stats, obviously, but um, I would say if you look at a ratio, I always like to work in a ratio of 10. Okay. So if you look at 10, 
different attacks. Uh, you'll probably look at uh, four, three, say, they say three to four people saying, I don't want trouble, take what you want and leave. Mm -hmm. And they'll get off with a couple of bruises, stab you over there or, or shot or whatever. Um, and then the rest is relatively violent. Yeah. Relatively violent. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think a lot of times we have difficulty kind of looking at that part <laughs> of, of humanity. Like we think that, you know, we, we judge other people's actions based on our own upbringing, our own values, but other people don't feel that way. And, you know, um, that's a bit of acceptance, you know, to be able to accept that, that a person could go that dark and that violent, that violent. But then you're able to yeah. prepare yourself for encountering that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's also why I said previously that I think, well, I don't want to speak for all South Africans, but I'll speak for myself uh, and my wife, obviously. I think we, uh, we definitely desensitize to violence. Yeah. Uh, because I can think of a lot of people that don't even watch the news anymore. They don't buy newspapers anymore because it's the same thing every day. Um, yeah, so it is definitely, especially now where, where we are now in Canada, it's almost like I've, something's wrong because it's, it's too safe. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, let us let us, let us lull you into a false sense of security. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, um, as a police officer in South Africa, is it uh, obviously the risks you face are are, are different? But um, well, I guess as a civilian or as a law enforcement officer, what would you say are kind of the biggest risks uh, over there versus over here? That's a good question. Uh, well, I've only been here a month, so I can't really say what what really happens here. Fair I've heard maybe of one or two things that have happened, but that's from other people that have heard it from other people. Right. Um, and I think there was one thing I heard on the news here where a uh, guy and his girlfriend were in the park and a guy came up to them and said, give me your money, I've got a knife. They ran away to the cop, the cop arrested him. Um, in South Africa, the challenges are just, uh, I don't want to sound negative because I love South Africa, you know. Definitely, I think the challenge there is getting home and to work every single day is a challenge. Because you never know what might happen. Is, is there really not su no such thing as an average day? Yeah. <laughs> every day is different. <laughs> every, every single day is different. I mean, I, I can remember when I was in the, in the police working a normal shift. There would be a day
day where I have three complaints. And then there's a day where I have 52. So it, it changes constantly. But one thing that stays the same is violence. It was always violent. I mean, in my time I can't even, I can't even tell you how many tetanus shots I got because I got bitten or I, I got exposed to, to blood where I had to go on anti-retroviral um, anti uh, tablets. Um, yeah, it's just it's something else. You know, <laughs> I, I can I, I'll, I'll never forget the day my partner and myself we were driving in the in one of our vehicles, and we were on our way to to one of the jails to go fetch somebody to go to court. And as we're driving, we switch channels because it's different in every district. And in the specific district we're in, all of a sudden there's one call coming through for armed robbery. Uh, straight after that there's another call coming through for shots fired. And so it just goes on. Then there was a attempted bank robbery and then there was um, gang violence and here we are driving and you're looking next to you and here's all the civilian guys driving in the vehicle and they're unaware of what's going on and I think that kind of what got me the desensitization uh, yeah it's just and especially the scenes that we used to do because obviously it's a big challenge in South Africa for the cops there we understaffed. So you would get to a scene and all of a sudden, okay, so the person died and you have to now get all the relevant people in, the photographers, and then you get the, uh, what we used to call schooling. So schooling is the guys that come fetch the, the bodies. Okay. And the guy rocks up and is alone. So now you have to assist him to pick up the body or whatever has happened, no? Yeah. Yeah, so it's the desensitization is still a big factor, yeah. I, um, when I was just, when I was curiosity, when I looked up the Global Peace Index earlier, um, it said that, uh, it said, so, Canada was just talking about rated was number six. South Africa rated was 127 out of a list of 172. But to my surprise, the U.S. was rated as 128. It actually, un <laughs> less safe according to whatever their metrics were than South Africa. And I, I remember a meme that I just saw this week that said COVID-19 has actually lowered the death rate in Chicago because everyone's staying inside. And I, and I wonder, I, yeah, uh, I just wonder as... Uh, you know, how in different metropolitan areas like that, uh, as well as probably in South Africa, it's the, the violence is more concentrated in certain areas. Is there, 
uh, is there a particular, what are, I guess, what are the areas in, in, in South Africa that have the high concentration? Or is it just everywhere? So, when you look at South Africa, you have to look at what what is the fire, basically, that drives crime. And it's poverty. Yeah. So, relatively speaking, the highest amount of crime is normally in the areas that's most poor. Right. And then you'll find it drifts out to all the different areas from people that live hand to mouth and a little better and a little richer and more and more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Does, just kind of spreads out from there. Does the type of crime uh, differ as it as it goes out through those uh, changes? Yeah, yeah. So in the in the poverty stricken areas, obviously there's a lot of child abuse. Um, yeah, yeah. That's. That, I, I think that's probably one of the hardest thing I, things I used to deal with when I was in the police was the child abuse. That's yeah. definitely a big factor there. And then domestic violence is very big. There it chooses non-specific, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Right. Domestic violence is everywhere, like in every caste, class system or whatnot. Yeah, doesn't matter what class system you're in, it's there. But generally speaking, in the poorer areas, it's definitely got to do with uh, alcoholism, domestic violence, very big, uh, child abuse, um, and then and then murders is quite is quite huge there. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not uh, it's not an easy thing, eh? No, no, it's. Uh, you know, I have. Do you have kids yourself as well? No, I think that's oh. one of the reasons I don't have. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, have. You know, as I said, we're having one on on the way, but I have one already, and uh, and I have a son. He's he's eight, so we have kind of the two, and we have the one coming along. And uh, you know, I think about stuff like that. <laughs> think about you know the the threats out there that await, and uh, you know, how, yeah. how we're gonna have to prepare them. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, it was on our, our big talk, you know, as husband and wife. Yeah. Are we going to have kids, are we not? And while the whole, the whole process was still going on for permanent residency in Canada, we decided that if it doesn't happen and we stay in South Africa, yeah. we will not have kids. Right. It's, yeah, it's just... Too much yeah, of a risk. No, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember talking with my my son the other day about. Uh, you know, we were talking about a secret, and he told a sec innocent secret uh, to his teacher, to his principal. He just goes, "I I, t I told uh, two trustworthy people," and I, I I said, "Hey, buddy, how do you know that they're trustworthy?" He said, "Well, because they're adults." <laughs> Well, just I said, just because yes, just because someone's an adult doesn't mean they're trustworthy. And now, then, as I'm having the conversation with them, I'm, I'm asking myself in my brain, like, am I wording this in a way that's a appropriate or b that makes sense? <laughs> you know, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's very diff it's very difficult. 
Yeah. Extremely difficult, yeah. And I mean, kids are, kids are in their own, they're awesome. I, I, I think that's why I decided to do my kids instructors course mm -hmm. um, with Cromwell Global um, is because they're vulnerable and they're so trustworthy and it's like how um, if, if I can do one thing to change a child's life for the better I'm a happy man and how does the how does the or how, I guess how do you adapt presenting the curriculum to kids versus when you're teaching adults so I become a kid uh, which obviously don't uh, don't let the wives hear. They will <laughs> agree that we never actually actually grow up. Yeah, you're probably right but, there. <laughs> yeah, no, but so basically, what I what I what I do is um, I gain their trust. Number one, gain their trust, and then I incorporate games into the self-defense um, curriculum. So instead of saying like, I have big bad guys grabbing you and he's choking you, I first go back and I say, let's play a game and let's say we're playing electric guitar. Right. Like a, like a rocker. So you know the air guitar where the guy strings his arm and he bangs the guitar. So I first start off with a game and then I move on to a more realistic side of it, but still make it in a playful manner. And I try and incorporate uh, the, the mother and father into the training a lot. Mm -hmm. So that should something happen, so I say, Say somebody tells you something that you feel is not right. Are you going to tell somebody? Who are you going to tell? Who are you going to run to? Can you trust this person? How do you know you can trust this person? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's it's a it's a very fine line, and if you cross that line, it it can be destructive, or it can be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very fine line. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm questioning. Uh, as, yeah, exactly. I, I question myself on it uh, with my own kids. I, I question myself on it all the time. Like, we're, you know, <laughs> am I walking? Where's that line? And am I, am I on it? You know? Yeah. The, yeah. You don't want to go too far, but you, wanna, you don't want to leave them unprepared. Exactly. But you also don't want to, like, scare them. Exactly. You know? Yeah, I mean, they're all just kids. Uh, now, where where can uh, kind of what what kind of stuff are you up to now? Where can people get a hold of you? Where can they find you? So I've got a so the, if guys want to get a hold of me, they can get a hold of me on my uh, Instagram. Okay. And then on my on my link on my bio, there's a link. Um, they can just click on the link, and then there's a application form they can fill in. If there's just give me a brief description of what training you're interested in, and the background, and so on. Um, so I'm starting to build up uh, a contact list. Okay. So as soon as everything's lifted and we can start uh, 
doing things and I can start sending out emails and telling you guys of what's coming, these seminars are coming or these classes are coming. And yeah. Are you looking to uh, to kind of stay in Nova Scotia right now or are you offering your training uh, across the across the country? What you, what kind of what are your plans with it? Uh, across the country. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm I'm a very big fan of collaborating uh, because I do believe that number one, not I know I'm an I know I'm an instructor, but I'm also there to learn. Mm -hmm. So I'm a, I'm a very big fan of collaboration. So if there's guys out there that want to do a collaboration training. I'm more than happy uh, to collaborate. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, you said on your Instagram that's at tactical trainer. Is that right? Yeah, that's at tactical trainer. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and then if you want to get a hold of Jacques, you can uh, contact or click on the link in his Instagram bio. Uh, do you have email address or number, phone number, or anything you want to shoot out there? Ways to get a hold of you directly? Yeah. So the guys can get hold of me on my email address as well, which is Jacques. So it's J-A-C-Q-U-E-S, uh, at gmail.com. Or they can get hold of me on my phone number, which is, you know, special code is plus one, 902-977-1979. Awesome. Awesome. All right, you can also, uh, you can also find Jack on, uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, as well, you can connect with him that way. So he's got various uh, various platforms that you can get a hold of him on. So please do. And Jock, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, once uh, once these things settle down and you get going, I'm excited to see what you what you're up to. So I'll be keeping in touch for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, TJ. And I and I and I just want to say thanks again for being one of the guys when I arrived here, being so helpful. You know. Uh, yeah. It's. Really, really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yo, uh, I, you know, I believe in what you have to offer, so I'm excited to see what, what you can bring over here. And in terms of collaboration, I'm excited to seeing what maybe we could put together in the future. Absolutely. I'm very, I'm very keen. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Again, if you have any questions, you can reach out to Jacques via his Instagram at Tactical Trainer or at his email, JacquesVanEck123 at gmail.com or his phone number, which he had listed uh, just a moment ago. So one more time, thanks for listening, guys, and see you next time.